true crime fans, and welcome to Where Have All the Children Gone? This is a deep dive true crime podcast that looks at the evil that affects our children and may be difficult to listen to. It contains very graphic and mature themes, which some might find offensive, and it is not recommended for young children. I include the graphic nature, not for titillation or entertainment value, but to convey to you, the listener, the gravity and the pain and suffering to all of those involved with this crime. Unfortunately, most of the information surrounding crimes revolve around the perpetrator. I want to make it clear that this podcast has no desire to ever provide any limelight to the perpetrator or perpetrators of these crimes. And I try to present as much as I can about the victims of their life prior to the event before they can become a victim. Our focus is to make sure people are made aware of the crime so the victim is never a forgotten person. Apologies to my loyal followers that it's been so long since I've podcasted. Unfortunately, life happens. And I have to tell you, I have thousands of cases that I have, I'm working on. It's sad there's so many. And it seems like the more I do, the more I find. And the best ones, the ones that I really know you're going to go, ooh, look at all those twists and turns, are very convoluted and are filled with so many rabbit holes. I finally stopped and rather than not record it all, I put them on the back burner to provide you some contact. If you like my podcast, please click like on those sites that ask. And definitely click follow so you know when my next true crime drops. The reason it takes a little bit longer for me to get these done, as it does for some of the professional ones, is I'm the researcher. I'm the one that checks all the facts. I'm the one that writes it. And then, of course, I'm the one records it and edits it. I also do my best to include each resource, whether at the beginning of the podcast or within the content, so they receive credit for their work. Unfortunately, since I'm so small, it's very difficult to get firsthand interviews with people involved in the cases. So I appreciate your patience and your feedback. For any questions, comments, or suggestions, please email me at truecrimechildren, all one word, truecrimechildren at gmail.com. I'll be starting a couple new series because there are just so many cases going on. Rather than wait to their conclusions, I'll be presenting some of these more recent cases ripped from the recent headlines and are still in litigation. I'll present the case with the known information and then provide updates as things evolve. The first of these series will be cases on variations of familiacide. Now, familiacide in general terms is defined as the killing of all or most of one's family. In fact, I've already covered a few cases that fall under this heading already. Case number eight, the perfect murderer. Case number 38 and 39, Dangerously Evil. And case number 55, titled Familiacide, were all cases of familiacide. Case number 7, the Pearl High School shooting, is an example of matricide because the perpetrator killed his mother prior to the school shooting. If the victim is just the father, it's called patricide. 
This happens usually when a child seeks to take power from their father. It's known like when sons of kings would kill their father to take over as king. An equivalent today would be if a child kills their parent for their money or their prestige to run the company, etc. Another form is parricide, which is the murder of a parent. It could be the father, the mother, or both. A recent example of this is when the Menendez brothers killed their parents. The killing of a brother, such as Cain and Abel, is called fratricide, and the killing of a sister is called sericide. Finally, filicide is the deliberate act of a parent killing their own child. Unfortunately, there's way too many cases of this, and you'll hear some in the future. Another type are the family annihilators. I'm sure you remember this term. These are people, usually a parent, who systematically kills multiple members of their own family, often in response to financial, professional, or relational stressors. A good example of this would be, yep, you guessed it, the Alex Murdoch case, where he killed his wife and son because in his mind they were the cause of his financial ruin and he needed to garner sympathy to hold off his creditors and lawsuits. However, all of these examples are under the heading of familiacide in general. Now, before we get started in the case, I would like to thank the following sources who contributed to this podcast. They are WFAA ABC Channel 8, multiple broadcasts, Fox Channel 4, also multiple broadcasts, multiple episodes of the El Paso Times, and the Dallas Morning News. That being said, it's time for Crime with Allie, so sit back and listen to this week's episode, A Hidden Crisis. This crime just happened on March 3rd, 2023. In the city of Italy, Texas, population of around 2,000 people and is about 40 miles south of downtown Dallas. I actually wrote this a few months back thinking that maybe they would set a court date that I could alert you to, but as of today, no date has been set. The case surrounds a 25-year-old woman by the name of Shemaya Hall. She was arrested and accused of stabbing her five children, killing three and so seriously injuring the others, they required to be heliported to a hospital. To look at their home, it looked like any other home that had kids. Toys strewn in the yard, bicycles leaning up against the house. However, CPS, or Child Protective Services, knew a different story, a dark story. And they had already filed the paperwork to terminate Hall's maternal rights months before she stabbed her children to death. Let me back up with some history. On June 30th of 2022, a police report stated that Hall's five-year-old son, Legend, Chappelle had gone to their neighbor's home and claimed that his mother, Shemaya, was dead on the floor. 
when the police arrived, the officers found Hall unresponsive, intoxicated, and under the influence of some form of drugs. The first responders noted that she was disoriented and rambling. The police noted Hall's home was in a filthy condition with dirty diapers and litter everywhere. Sensing the threat to the children's lives, CPS attempted to prevent any future tragedy. According to the court documents obtained by WFAA, after CPS interviewed the grandmother, they filed a petition on July 1st, 2022, to revoke Hall's parental rights to her children, claiming, quote, there is a continued danger to the physical health or safety of the children if returned to the parent. According to the court document, CPS petitioned Kaufman County to relocate the children permanently due to Hall's drinking problems. The department is concerned that due to Ms. Hall's untreated and unmedicated mental health issues, she places the children at risk, which could cause serious injury or possible death when she becomes a threat to herself or others. When Hall was discharged from the hospital, she contacted CPS and, quote, kept asking for her kids and said all she did was get drunk, unquote. However, CPS did not return them and ordered Hall and the children's fathers, fathers, plural, to have limited contact with them. According to the records, CPS was seeking a permanent home for the children while the final hearing to terminate Hall's and the children's father's parental rights occurred, but tragedy struck before any of these could take place. Hall was only allowed supervised visits with her children, and the CPS worker made an unannounced visit to the home because she was suspicious that Hall was with her five children unsupervised, which was against the court order. The CPS investigator went to the home unannounced and was confronted by Hall, who became aggressive. Hall then went back inside the residence and returned with what appeared to be blood on her hands. According to the investigator, Hall had threatened suicide in the past. Due to her suicide risk, the blood on her hands, and knowing the children were to be removed from the home, the CPS investigator immediately called 911. When the Ellis County deputies arrived, they found five children with stab wounds inside the home. The three children who died were found unresponsive in the back of the house and appeared to have been stabbed multiple times in the abdominal area. It is not known whether Hall just went on a killing spree of her family or that she realized CPS was there and she knew they would take the children into protective custody. What is known at this time is that when they entered the home, they found Hall covered in blood and three of her elementary age children, a male age six and a set of twins age five, one boy, one girl, were dead from stab wounds. Two additional children, ages four and 13 months, were also found in the home. They were critically injured, also due to stab wounds, but still alive. It is unknown if Hall believed she was going to lose her children, and in a state of mind, at that moment, she thought it was better to kill them than to lose them. It is also known if Hall thought she had successfully killed all her children, or she just ran out of time to finish the job. 
I found it interesting that it appeared she started with the older son and worked her way down through the children by age. Child Protective Services confirmed to WFAA that all five children were siblings. The search warrant details that multiple pieces of evidence were taken from Hall's home, including a knife blade with blood on it, a large stainless steel knife with blood on it, a black knife handle, and a stainless steel knife from the back bedroom. Shemaya Hall was booked into the Wayne McCollum Detention Center on three counts of capital murder, and the judge has ordered a $2 million bond on each charge for a total of $6 million. She also faces two charges of aggravated assault against a family member with a weapon, according to Ellis County jail records. Now, the authorities have not officially released the names of the children, but Latanya Reese, the paternal grandmother of six-year-old Legend Chapel, says he was one of the children killed in Italy. Legend loves Spider-Man, the Los Angeles Lakers. He wanted to be a professional boxer when he grew up, and he told his grandmother that he loved going to school because it's where he felt like he could be himself. The Martin family, relatives of the five-year-old twins on the paternal side, identified the twins as Aliyah and Aiden Martin. Aliyah and Aiden were Legend's half-siblings. According to Reese, Legend and his twin half-siblings will be buried together. An online fundraising campaign was set up to cover the funeral costs. A spokesman with the Ellis County Sheriff's Office says they are still in the fact-finding phase of the investigation, but added that more charges are expected to be filed. The Hall residence was across the street from Stafford Elementary School. One of their substitute teachers reminisced about the kids and said that he was really sad because those kids, they were really good. The school announced that the counselors and therapy dogs would be provided at the school for the students and local church for any family or community members that needed them. The school districts wore black and gold to show support for the students, their neighbors, and the family. There was a balloon release at the Hall family home where around 100 neighbors and members of the school community gathered to share their condolences with the family. So was she evil or maybe selfish? Like if she can't have them, no one can. You want my kids? Here they are. Take every piece of them from me. Was she mentally ill, intoxicated, on said drugs or a combination? Or did her mind, after seeing that social worker, knowing she was there to take her children, knowing she didn't want her children in the system. In her mind, no one could love them like she could. In that moment of desperation, did she think that her kids would be better off dead than without her? So she grabbed that knife and stabbed her kids one by one. We may find more out at the trial, or we may never, ever know.
Now, I probably should have titled this Plot Twist Knife because there is a plot twist in this case. Not in the facts of the prior case, but having to do with the family. Interestingly, Hall had a twin sister whose name was Troche Mona Hall, who also was arrested in 2017 for stabbings of her own. In May of 2017, Troche used a knife to threaten her boyfriend, who was living in an apartment of his female cousin. Believing his cousin was his new girlfriend, Troche forced her way into the apartment and attacked her boyfriend's cousin. When she was arrested, she identified herself to authorities using Shemaya's name. In fact, many sources I tracked down stated that Shemaya had a whole history of stabbing people when it really was her sister. After pleading guilty to these charges of aggravated assault and burglary of a habitation, which she committed, she was sentenced to eight years of deferred adjudication probation and was released. On June 21st, 2021, Troche was at home in Dallas with her mother, her younger brother, her younger brother's male friend, who was 16 at the time, and her seven-year-old daughter, Madison Petrie. According to her affidavit to the police, Hall's mother stated she was taking a bath when she heard screaming. Hall's brother told his mother that Hall had stabbed his friend. According to a Fox 4 News report, a neighbor by the name of Frank Turner described the scene as a horrific and chaotic scene at the South Dallas home. That afternoon, as neighbors tried to help and save the two major stabbing victims, a 7-year-old girl and a 16-year-old boy, according to an arrest report, Troche Hall stabbed her brother's 16-year-old friend in the bathroom in the shoulder and his lower back. He was stabbed through his back, the neighbor recalled. I had to go in there and get shirts and towels for him. The affidavit says the Sussex mother and brother struggled with her in an attempt to take the knife away. In the process, the suspect's mother suffered lacerations to her hand. She broke away from her mother and brother, and while they were trying to help the teen, she proceeded to stab her seven-year-old daughter, Petri. Everybody had to get their cars, Turner said. They put the little brother's best friend on the back of the truck. Turner stated that an off-duty Dallas County Sheriff's deputy lived next door to the family and stepped in and detained the suspect. Turner stated, all I could see was her coming outside with blood on her hands, and he was telling her to get to the ground and put her hands behind her back, he said. According to the affidavit, seven-year-old Madison Petrie was stabbed more than 30 times. Police say the off-duty deputy drove the girl to the nearest fire station. He's the one that took it upon himself to cover her up and put her in the car because he had to get her somewhere, Turner said. He was trying to save her life. She was a smart little kid. I got to meet her, Turner said. According to the police, Hall confessed to officers after her arrest, but also said her daughter was being sexually assaulted. 
Please have not indicated there is anything to support that claim. And please say Hall later declined to make any further comments. It's just shocking because I know they say the devil is alive, Turner said. I think he is. Neighbors said Hall had just recently come home from a psychiatric facility. But Dallas police would not confirm that saying they cannot comment on mental status of a person and her bond was set at one and a half million dollars. I was unable to find any litigation on this case and according to Dallas County court records, the defendant was found incompetent to face capital murder charges on October 12th, 2021 and resides currently under psychiatric care. There were some reports, though, on this that said that they had seen her at her home, but it, the way the stories ran together, it's possible somebody misunderstood the fact that she had been in psychiatric care before and when they saw her then, as opposed to after stabbing her daughter and this young boy. Now, it's hard to look at these women, and in some ways not them, them evil in some parts, especially when a child is murdered so brutally. Worse yet, that brutality was perpetrated by their mother. You know, the one person who was supposed to love and care for them lifted a knife and brutally stabbed them, not just once, but repeatedly until they died. The last thing that they remember as they laid in their own blood, terrified after being attacked, dying a very painful death was realizing that their mother was the perpetrator and for some that she was doing it to their siblings. I don't even have the words. So in Shemaya's case, I'll save them until after her trial, until she's had a chance to provide defense, to tell her side of the story. I mean, who knows? Maybe she had mental illness just like her sister and didn't know what she was doing at the time or couldn't comprehend the lasting effects that stabbing of her children would have. So I'll wait. I'll wait for her defense and I'll wait for the jury. As much as we would like to think we know these people, that all that is written is truthful and up to date, we really don't. We don't know these people who kill. We don't know their past or what happened to make them this way. We know they need to be punished unless they're insane because they have murdered. This is why in a trial, if convicted, the defense attorney is allowed to present mitigating circumstances during the sentencing part of the trial. An example of mitigating circumstances are things like mental, physical, and sexual abuse during their childhood or as they grew up or during their life. It doesn't get them off the hook for their crime, but it may change how long their sentence is for, which is why it's presented in the sentencing phase. The question comes, do we just lock them up and throw away the key? I know sometimes that's exactly what we feel should happen. But as evil 
and reprehensible their actions are. God believes all people are worth saving. Unfortunately, most will not respond to current psychiatric care. They can only be cured by Jesus. Now, please hear me out. Now, I know almost every offender in prison says, Oh, I found Jesus. I'm a different person. Now, let me out. But if they had really found Jesus, they would insist that they complete their sentence according to the law. It would be part of their repentance. And because the Bible teaches to respect the state authority, unless it goes against God's teaching, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But do they need to pay for their sin for eternity? Sin by itself is death. But fortunately, we're under the judgment of God. The important thing to understand is being subject to judgment still leaves hope. If someone who murders is truly sorry and repents, meaning expresses sincere remorse for their wrongdoing, and asks Jesus to heal them, they too could have hope in heaven. That doesn't mean just let them out. In fact, their repentance wouldn't be complete without repaying their dues to society. I'm just saying they have the right to put their life right with Christ. I say this because maybe you feel you have done something that makes you feel dirty, makes you feel hopeless, filled with despair, makes you feel unworthy of love, or makes you feel unworthy of God and heaven. I'm here to tell you that's not true. God knew that left on our own, we would go after the things of the flesh, like seeking money, fame, drugs. We do anything that feels good, no matter who it hurts or kills. All of which are a dead end, leaving you feeling empty, hopeless, and alone. Time and time again, we see cases where we think, they have it all. What's the problem? And they take their own life because they feel desperate and unworthy and have no hope. I want to share with you a simple gift that sometimes is hard to grasp. God sent his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. A gift is something given, not earned. If you wish to be released from your sin, the steps are simple. God's grace is abounding for those who truly repent. Only you and God know your heart. God's mercy withholds the punishment you deserve and gives you his love instead. And he gives you the grace, an unmerited gift from God, meaning he will give you forgiveness even if you don't deserve it. Because of this gift of God through Jesus Christ, I want you to remember, nothing is impossible with Jesus. And with faith brings hope. I can tell you that's true from my own personal experiences, through my own sin and forgiveness. Now, that doesn't mean you'll never sin again. In fact, I guarantee you, you will. 
but you put an effort in to sin less and your work on that relationship with Jesus and God. God bless you all. And I thank you very much for listening to this episode of Where Have All the Children Gone? And for hearing my message about the most important person in my life, Jesus Christ and God.